running Uniford is like riding a lion. Yeah, you have to ride it. And you have to keep on feed it, keep on feeding it. Okay, and if you stop feeding it, it'll eat you. Why do you do what you do? Like, <laughs> why? At the end, like, you no. Know, the bottom line is why. Uh, well, in the beginning, if you remember my life, Mr. Shalim Hussein MBE, he's not just a pride of Bangladesh. He's also a pride of the UK. He invested his only £20. This business has now almost reached a valuation of a half a billion US dollars. So I knew one of my relatives was very successful uh, in this business. So I called him. I remember calling him. Just didn't want to know me. That really made me say, okay, I, I'm going to make this. If they can do it, I can do it. I always knew what I wanted. What is it that you wanted? Uh, I wanted to, to make sure that the business is... Did you ever get bullied? Yes. I used to feel depressed and demoralized. Uh, you know, it, was, it was a bit, you know, a bit tough uh, for me because I was a bit... Uh, what shall I say? Um, uh, but... I knew inside me that um, I've always felt like a hero. In 6th of November, some of my uh, competitors uh, and ex-employees even burnt my house down. That's why I'm living in Newport. Wow, this is, this, I didn't know it, yeah. it could go to that level. Some people um, go, go beyond. Uh, and those days are the best days of my life that I missed, okay? If you say, uh, would you change everything you have and be a normal person and have those days, I would say, anytime. Mr. Shalim Hussein MBE, welcome to the show. Well, Assalamu alaikum. Thank Walaikum you for salam. having me. Um, I'm uh, honored to be here. Thank you. Uh, we, we feel honored to, to have you here because you told me a little while ago you've just uh, come off a plane and, and, and you've, you still uh, made the effort to come down today. So we, I would like to thank you on behalf of our audience for coming here and hopefully by the end of this show they will feel truly inspired by your journey. Well, as you explained, this, this show is all about giving back to the community and, and trying to um, inspire and help our young generation uh, to take on the challenges and become successful in life. Uh, and I am now an uh, old man. <laughs> you, don't, you don't look very old. I mean, last time I saw you, 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 I mean, you have improved a lot. I mean, you've got, lost so much weight. I can't believe it. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so, yeah, I'm, I'm here uh, to see what I can do. And if, if by one little story of my life's journey or uh, a couple of words, if I can make any difference to anybody's life, for them to go out and 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 try and achieve their dreams it will be a worthwhile journey amazing amazing and i, I guess this, as i said this is this is what this show is about so i want to start off by kind of um getting a context into into who you are so why don't you take us back to to your early days your earliest memories back in bangladesh uh, my earliest memories back in Bangladesh were probably the best times of my life. So uh, I actually grew up in a village called uh, Kharmafur, uh, it's also called Islampur, or most people know it as Kharmafur. 
Bolzul Bazar, Balagonj, Silet. And I, um, I, I, I have a memory, believe it or not, my parents tell me, I probably heard it, but I have a memory from the time, you know, uh, I was on my knees, you know, I was um, crawling. Um, and my early days as a child was in a village. I mean, we did not have any electricity. Uh, the uh, lights was from, uh, we call this in Bengali, those lamps called horikol, or, uh, whatever they call here. I don't know. <laughs> Lanterns, <laughs> Lanterns or whatever, yeah. whatever they call them. Uh, and you needed kerosene to, to uh, fire them. Uh, and I used to make, I remember I used to make my own light by catching fly, fl flies and put them in the jars uh, in the night and that would be my light. Flies? Uh, fireflies. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, they, they, we call them zunifuk. Is, is that yeah, what it is? Yeah, yeah. They, okay. they, they light up the bomb and yes. you catch a few and you put it inside the jar. Ah, that becomes your creative, natural, creative natural, natural, natural light. And then also there's a certain plant, I forgot the name of it, you, you, you push a stick in and you take, the, there's a white bit, you take that plant out, okay? And you can create a lamp which lasts for an hour. Okay, so you, you take the inside out and you, you dip it in kerosene and you make a lamp. So we used to make lamp with that all the time. Wow. And then um, I was, uh, yeah, I was a bit of a menace. I was probably the naughtiest kid in the village, not only that village, few villages. So, and my dad was very strict. You know, as a, as a Bengali, you know, you, uh, you get beaten up by your father. Yeah. So, and... and you don't get traumatized by it because for us it's normal. I mean, yeah. these, these days, if you touch a child, then yeah, yeah. You know, you've got issues. Yeah, you've got issues. But for us, we grow up, it's, it's normal. It doesn't, doesn't mean your father doesn't love you. That doesn't mean you start hating him. It's just normal that you know you get beaten up if you're naughty. And I was the naughtiest. So uh, my father used to have a shop and I used to have a lookout if he's coming home for lunch to so make sure I'm not home. So, I, I, wow. so yeah, and I was going... Uh, fishing, I I have bad memories of a uh, few encounters with cobra snakes. I nearly wow. died. Uh, I nearly died on a, on a tornado. I used to take risks which would end my life that I would never do today. So on a uh, massive river full of current, I would swim to the other side. And sometimes you start here, and by the time you cross the river, you're one mile down the road. Wow, that is crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're just daring the other child and all other friends and, and things we did. And now, it's, now thinking about it is scary. <laughs> wow. Those are the things I did when I was a child. But it was a beautiful childhood. I used to play football. I used to be really good uh, at a sport called kabaddi. So I was to be really good at Kabaddi, that. Is that like tug of war? Or? No, you uh, we usually we usually played in the monsoon. So you're muddy and oh, you're, yes, you're, yes. Uh, you're slippery and you go you hold your breath and you say kabaddi 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 okay, go yeah, to the other yeah, side yeah, yeah. and if you touch somebody and come back and they have to catch you. Ah. But if, it's, if it's raining and muddy, you're slippery, then you slip away and it's in a, it's a fantastic game. Amazing. And so, where, when did you? What year did you move? To the UK at so, the age of 11. Yeah, so um, originally my ancestors, we are we are direct descendants of uh, Shah Kamal uh, from Shah Farah, so who's the nephew of Shah Jalal. So my ancestors actually go back to Yemen and all the way back to Konya, where Shah Jalal was originally from. Um, so my family until my great granddad uh, was Fir. You know, we okay. uh, 
we talked about being Mesa from Zokigon. Yes. So in, in our area, we were the only Mesa family. And the rest of people were Hindus about say, three, four hundred years ago. And we spread Islam in that area. Uh, but, but the time came to my grandfather's time. Uh, because people used to come to my great-grandfather and they used to become murid. I don't know if you know what that means. Yes, like disciples? Yes, yeah, something or? like that. And they used to donate land to him and then they would uh, uh, graze those land, grow rice and donate or you know, bring all the, all the rice from 50 to 60, 100 miles away. They used to come all the time. But as more uh, people probably got educated or uh, people were struggling, these died out. So my grandfather actually um, in the early 50s came to UK uh, and went back after building lots of land and but then his family grew and then we were like a we weren't poor but we weren't rich like a middle to lower family so we never starved of of food but I remember the times where we had rice but no curries so you'd had to eat the rice just with water and salt wow or uh, uh, water and some uh, chili paste because they still have chili paste. To spice you up a little bit. Yeah. So um, catching fish was a hobby, and if you catch it, good fish, then you get to eat it. Yes. So I think I started catching fish from age of five, six. Amazing. Yeah. So what year was it that you moved with? Uh, was it me, with your family or you? No, alone? no. So uh, because my family was middle to lower, lower, lower uh, end of the economic, so um, my. Father sent me to UK with his sister, my fufu. Okay. Yeah, so I moved here in 1983rd uh, of January, 1985. 85. Yeah, I was 11. Wow, amazing, amazing. And you moved straight to Wells? Or? No, first we lived in a house near uh, Baker Street. Uh, not house, actually, apartment. Um, I still remember, and I think 1985, Michael Jackson came to Madame Tushot because you can watch Madame Tushot from the apartment we, okay. we, we, we used to live, live in. And I think the, that place was too expensive uh, for them to live, my um, auntie's family. So they moved to Cardiff, I think, 1987. Wow. Moved to Cardiff. What was it like, though? Like, you know, obviously you said your father sent you along with, 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 with his sister. Yes. <clears throat> what was it like, you know, being isolated from the whole family and you were just kind of in the middle of nowhere, effectively? I think you mentally get prepared. So I remember... Uh, um, because we weren't really well off, so we would eat uh, dinner time or lunch time. There wasn't isn't much to eat, uh, so uh, we even would, in the UK. No, no, I'm talking about okay. in Bangladesh, and I and uh, then there was talk about sending me back to, uh, to UK, and there's a lot of boys like me came over to the UK, calling somebody else their parents. So I had to call my uh, uncle, my father, to come here. Okay, and a lot of boys came like me, uh, so. Uh, it, it was into my head that I was coming here to migrate to earn money, to send money back home. So I was mentally prepared from, from an early age as a migration to come here to work and send money back home. Um, when I came here, uh, it was totally different uh, from being a free-souled, wild, you know, running around everywhere in lakes and rivers and jungles to, uh, to London, uh, felt like a bit caged in, you know, in the beginning. It was a bit tough. Uh, but I adjust to all situations, so I just... So, so you had that financial, I mean, that pressure on you, on your shoulders to hopefully, I mean, help your family back home as well by earning money mm -hmm. in the UK. And how long did it take for you to kind of 
find a way to start making money? Well, I was always entrepreneurial. So when I even in, in Bangladesh, I, my first business was at the age of six. So um, uh, I would buy Bombay mix from the bazaar and because we had a family of 33 members. So I would mix it up and sell it to the family. <laughs> so, so that was my first business. And then I and then I start uh, growing uh, naga chili. I take it to the bazaar and, and sell it. Then I, I think age seven or eight, I would I did uh, I, I had a couple of ducks, so and then a couple of chickens. I should sell the eggs, uh, so I always did that. And then I think at age nine, I used to go to um, uh, other bazaars like Lala Bazaar or my nana's from. Vegetables were cheap there, so I'd buy vegetables from there and bring it to Mari. So age of nine, I was doing that in our bazaar Amazing. and sell that. So I always had that in me, but when I came here, I was totally in another family um, with no income, and uh, uh, it was it was a bit you know a bit tough uh, for me because I was a bit uh, what shall I say um, not used to what I was in Bangladesh. So it was a bit tough for me here, uh, especially in London. And when you go to school, you can't understand what they're saying because uh, I did not know any English whatsoever. Did you ever get bullied? Yes, yes, I I got bullied in uh, part a North Westminster school in uh, in Paddington. Uh, I remember the guys who were used to bully me because I didn't know what they're saying. They used to uh, pick on me, make fun of me. There was a girl called Shiv. I still remember her name. She used to. Does Shiv know who you are now? I have no idea if she knows. <laughs> Shiv knows. Who, I wish who she I does. Am. I hope she does. <laughs> who I am. So, uh, yes, I used to get bullied up and picked up on uh, and I used to feel depressed and demoralized. But I knew inside me that um, I always felt like a hero. I said I would come back up because in my village I was a hero. And I was the number one boy because I was so, I mean, I was really good at school. I mean, in, in, in Bangladesh, if you, I was the best in school in, in, in English. Wall is wall, chair is chair. You know, I knew mm. all this, all these English languages. So, but coming here was difficult, um, and especially London was very difficult. I had a couple of best friends who really helped me. One is called Jaked, and one is called Rafiz, and they protected me. They're Bengalis, uh, and then obviously we moved to Cardiff, and and it was a different story from just when I was getting used to being here into Cardiff. Why did you move to Cardiff? What was the the family I came with here couldn't afford to live in London. Okay. So they migrated to Cardiff. And okay. then I think I was the only second Bengali child in the whole school. And well, if I didn't move to Cardiff, I wouldn't learn, learn English. Because here in North Paddington, most of my friends are Bengali. We still had Bengali teach, you had Bengali lessons, we had everything Bengali, so you don't learn English. Yeah. So uh, in Cardiff, I was forced to learn English. You had no choice but to speak Yeah, English. because everybody else is not the Bengalis there. Exactly, amazing. So, at what age, I mean, what year was it when you started doing A-levels and, you know? So, I, I carried on as I was. Uh, so, when I went to Cardiff, obviously, it was a bit more hectic, less hectic, more subtle. For, um, so, obviously, I needed money. The family I came with, uh, they were on low income, so I used to get dinner tickets. So, I would starve myself a couple of dinners, sell the dinner tickets to other other uh, uh, friends, use that money to, for my pocket money, and then I remember going to Oxfam and buying uh, buying my clothes. Uh, then I uh, yeah I used to do. Then I found out some of my friends were doing paper rounds, so then I did a couple of paper rounds. One at five in the morning, one at six in the morning. Came from school, did another one at four thirty and one at five thirty. So I did four paper rounds a day. 
So, and then at age 14, I started working in an Indian restaurant, building onions. So, yeah. Wow, and this is when you decided, you know what, I'm going to take the leap of faith and I'm going to start a business. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've always wanted to start a business, mm-hmm. remember, because I was older, always entrepreneurial from early age and I did businesses. And here I didn't know what to do. So my first business was, um, I, I followed, I, I think I was 15, and there was uh, some multi-level marketing business called Avon or something. Avon, Avon yes. Avon, something yeah. like that. Forever Living, no, no, not Avon. Yes, Avon is the cosmetics brand. Yes, cosmetics yes, brand. Right, so right. so I, I've seen some people do that. Some, some of my uh, white friends' mothers do that. And so I couldn't get it to everyone. So I got into another thing called Echos. There was another perfume, it's like sim- similar to Avon. Yeah, it's another perfume brand called Echos came out. And I started that at 15 and a half or 16. I had no connections. Usually you need a lot of social connections yes. to sell all these things. But I thought, hang on a minute, there's lots of Bengali restaurants here in Cardiff. If I go to all of them, maybe I can sell some perfume. So that's how I started my first business selling perfumes uh, to um, to restaurants. <laughs> and because obviously I was 15 or 16 at the time, so I can only walk. So within a month, I run out of all the places I can walk to. So, and those, wow. be, those people won't buy anymore. So that business was over. So w- when did the story of Eurofood or the journey of the birth of Eurofood uh, so start? The birth of Eurofood started when I was 17. So at that time I was uh, studying for A-levels during the day. And in the evening uh, I was working in an Indian restaurant because obviously I had to work to earn money to send money back home. And a guy who was supplying uh, prawns, they, they only do prawns to the, uh, to the uh, restaurant called RY Seafood. And for some reason, the guy called, guy's name was Farouk Mia, and he decided to pack up his business. And I thought, okay, this is a good opportunity to start that. Um, and so I knew one of my relatives was very successful uh, in this business. So I called him, I remember calling him, uh, and he just introduced him, I introduced him to myself, uh, to, to himself, uh, who I am, blah, blah, blah. He just didn't want to know me. Um, although my father rescued him and his brother uh, from the Pakistanis during the liberation war, otherwise they would have been killed. Uh, but he didn't want to know me. He was very successful, uh, that family. Uh, when they didn't want to know me and they just rushed, bashed me off, that really made me say, okay, I, I'm going to make this. If they can do it, I can do it. Uh, yeah, so that's when I started. I think in October 1991, I think. Wow, and that was the beginning of your journey. With, yeah, that was with, the beginning. I remember I went to your recent event and mm. you were talking about this blue van. Yes. <laughs> What's the story with the blue van? I wish so, you had brought that blue van with you. <laughs> I no, mean, the, the, the no, miniature no. So of it. That was, you know, you have milestones in life. Uh, and the blue one was a milestone. So before that blue one, I had a small broken van or small car I used to do it, deliver everything in. So <clears throat> when I started the company, I was on my own in 1991. Uh, and then in 1992, I uh, fallen in love and, and at an early, uh, yeah, early age of 19. I wanted to, I had to get married and because my family wasn't here, I had to go to Bangladesh to get married. So my business was shut down. I was only one man. So I needed, uh, needed partners. And at the same time, I had some issues with some of the guys in Cardiff that I did some partnership with. <coughs> so my close best two friends, well, one of my best close friends, uh, friend, uh, he, 
I said to him, I was actually prepared to, after all this happened in those days, you're not allowed to choose who you want to marry. Uh, you know, uh, you, it was forbidden. It was arranged, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and you would be an outcast. So I became an outcast uh, in 1992. It was like a talk of the town. I shouldn't be liking any girls. It's, it's forbidden against Islam, against my culture, against everything. Uh, so I decided to leave Cardiff and come to London. Okay. That was in 1992. Uh, forgot the business, everything shut down, finished. Uh, so before, so I started, although I started in, 19, in, in 1991, uh, early 1991, I think, I was trading under um, no company name, just selling cash and getting the money. And then my friend Rahim, uh, and, and then he brought in Saiful and said, don't go, let's do this business together. And then I stayed in 1992 and we formed Euro Foods. I think, uh, although I, was, I started in early 1991, uh, we formed Euro Foods, I think, seventeenth uh, of uh, January, nineteen ninety-three. And did you have to reinvest new capital into the company, or yeah, we started. We although well, my original investment was twenty pounds at that time in nineteen ninety-three. By that time, I earned up a couple of grand, so I I put two grand in. Saiful put two grand in. Rohim put two grand in. So six grand was uh, investment. Wow! Amazing! So impressive from from twenty pound to then two, two grand. <laughs> And then that became six grand, and now, alhamdulillah, by the will of Allah and the grace of Allah, it's, it's, it's what it is today. So where would you say that tipping point happened? Obviously, you know, every business goes from, from its you know, 10,000, 100,000, and then million pound. And then there's a point where you either become, stay where you are, or you climb, yeah, climb so, up. So where did that climb you, happen? Your business, you never stay where you are. If you're staying where you are, you're falling behind, uh, as everybody... Uh, around you uh, goes forward and I always knew that from the beginning so obviously first uh, thing it was the blue van because I went to Bangladesh to get married and when I came back and I saw because we didn't have a van and Saiful bought that blue van from auction and that blue van took our business from I think uh, five six grand a week all the way up to about 50 60 grand a week amazing yeah and, and it's did really hard job and I used to sleep in the van you know uh, so um, it was really, I mean, that was the biggest thing I, I remember. And then after that, the next big thing was, because we, are, we were renting a premises uh, with a couple of chest freezers, I managed to convince a local uh, Welsh gentleman to um, give me his building, which has coal stores in. And that really propelled us to the next level, uh, uh, because you, from able to store a few goods. A coal store cost quarter million to half a million to build, even in those days. So it was expensive. Uh, I had that free almost because I managed to... Get, How? Uh, he was moving to bigger premises. Okay. He wanted to sell his business. I had no money to buy. So I convinced him to rent it to me in, in the hope of buying in the, fu in the future within five years. And uh, I moved in there. I think within 15 months, I outgrew the site. Business from, I think, about... Two million, we went to about 14 million in... Uh, and what year are we talking in, about? This is in back, I think back in 1994. 94. So what was that strategy? Was it just a pure multiplication game or, or was it a bit of like you know, thinking big with, 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 an, uh, with a, a thing for risk as well? What was it no, like that? So, what was the formula? So for? the it's, it's little steps, slowly, slowly, you know, there's no big plan to dominate the world it has never been I mean in my beginning it was okay uh, we're in Cardiff so uh, Cardiff is expensive 
our market is Bristol, Cardiff, and Newport. So, uh, so let's do a warehouse in Newport. Newport was cheaper. Newport was like a ghost town those days. That's how I started. And and you plan, okay, I'm going to do this much. And then you, your goal, as you achieve your, your goal, the goal then goes further, extends, and becomes more. First it was going to be a bigger supplier in Cardiff, and then it was the region, and then it was South Wales, then it was England, and then it's UK, and now international. So as you grow, you achieve your goal. You cannot stay put. You have to, I mean, if I, if I did not do what I did uh, uh, today, I don't think I'd, I could last in this such a competitive business. Because in the, remember in the beginning, when I started this business, I had a massive support from the Bengali community. They supported me being a Bengali boy. I mean, when I was first started, people, people didn't believe that who I was. I, I started this business because I was 17. I would go and say, my father started the business and <laughs> I'm uh, here working. And they would say, okay, fine, we'll give you. If I tell them it's me, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't buy from me because I'm a 17-year-old kid. So they wouldn't leave their you know, reliable supplier to buy from a 17-year-old kid. So I couldn't tell people who that I, I own the business. Uh, so yeah, so the goal changes, and 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 then by the after three, four, five years of business, I knew what I wanted. You know, I always knew what I wanted. What is it that you wanted? Uh, I wanted to to make sure that the business is sustainable. Uh, if I become a me too company, I won't last. So uh, as so those two strategy, one strategy was uh, grow the business, get more market share, but then work upstream the supply chain sorted. If I'm buying the same product as as my competition, then what's my edge? There's no edge. So I went into, so first obviously I was buying from a wholesaler, then I bought from an importer, and then I started importing, and it never ends. So then I started, after importing, I started having my own processing plants, and from processing plants, I'm now a farmer. I'm today the largest shrimp farmer in Bangladesh. So, if you go to Ocado now, you find our shrimps. That shrimps come from my farm. So all these are different businesses that I own, right? So every, every single business is independent, okay? Each business has a, a director or a CEO that report to me, and he's independently responsible for success of that business. So, so say, the, say the farm, for example, supplies to my factory, but if my factory doesn't pay a good price, it can supply to another factory, which I don't own. Okay. Okay? So... So he supplies prawns from uh, from my own farm to my factory. That fa- uh, uh, he makes a profit. The factory supplies to Eurofoods, makes a profit. Eurofoods will sell to uh, a wholesaler or a shopkeeper, make a profit. So say Eurofoods will sell to some masala bazaar, make a profit. Masala bazaar will sell to the retailers and make a profit. So uh, I think we are the only Bangladeshi shrimp out there in the supermarkets now, uh, in the mainstream. So Ocado is doing really well. Amazing. Uh, with with our uh, black tiger shrimps. Amazing. So obviously you became. I mean, you were buying from people initially, and then you 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 became a wholesaler yourself, and then you became an importer, and then you became the farmer, <laughs> ultimate farmer yourself. I mean, did you annoy anyone along the way, or oh, did anyone yeah, yeah. did anyone become annoyed along the journey? I annoyed lots of people, lots of people. So. Give you an example. It's in Bangladesh, I was the largest importer of shrimp prawns into the United Kingdom, right? And there is a factory in Kunlan, factory in Dhaka. I'm the biggest customer. From becoming their biggest customer to their competitor with my own plant. And in 2021, 2022, we were the largest export of shrimps from Bangladesh. 
and had won a gold trophy from the government from from prime minister for that so of course you can annoy people uh, but that shouldn't hold you back did it cause any impact or did it have any consequences as as a result of you knowing those 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 guys listen i annoy, did they try and cause any i annoy a lot of people uh, to an extent that the worst one as i said was uh, in 6th of november some of my uh, competitors uh, and ex employees even burnt my house down that's why i'm living in newport with me in it so is that the incident we're talking about yes so i annoy a lot of people along the way Wow. But I'm a fighter. I always fight. And I hope these people have been dealt with. Uh, they've been arrested. Uh, but I don't know what evidence police has because the guy who uh, my CCTV, ta- CCTV camera caught people, uh, somebody with a hoodie and a balaclava. Uh, wow, setting, this setting, is, this, I didn't know it, yeah. it could go to that level. Some people um, uh, go go beyond go beyond and they have connections where which I don't have. Wow, this is okay. this is crazy. You know when you were saying like you know before the show like there, there was an incident and that's mm. why I live in London mm. now. I'm like okay, what could it be? Yeah. You know, maybe something it could be anything, yeah. but someone burnt your house down. That is that is next level. Mm. Now, coming back to the good sides. When you hire someone, mm-hmm. what is the first thing that you look for? And how long does it take for you to determine if that person is going to be hired or not you know there is there is no art in hiring people there you have people with fantastic CVs and and in the meetings they come very well but until you work with them for for a good 6 months to a year you don't know how good they are uh, i have been lucky you know and uh, mostly when i uh, my my two best friends rohim and saifel they they have been working flat out day and night for last 30 years with me uh, then after that now the company is bigger you know it's more than 2500 people work uh, in bangladesh so in, uh, for example we have uh, seven or eight businesses and they're pretty big ones and it's a corporate structure and and i have uh, country directors and and factory managers and and i've been very lucky very lucky in 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 getting this. i mean i had my fair share of bad luck i have people i mean i didn't remember doing a business in northern ireland where i lost money i've lost money business doing business in usa so i've lost money a few times uh, because the partners wasn't right the guys who were doing it were one good the people i put in charge no weren't as good as how long does be. it take for you to pull the plug on, on a certain individual who 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 happens to be not performing or doing what you need them to do Uh, I think in the past I I took it too long uh, uh, to to pull the plug because I tried to fight everything and just keep it flowing. Now I'm I am learning better. For example, recently uh, we've invested in a in an abattoir slaughterhouse. I think about within two years we we shut it down. Uh, I think we shut it down in October last year because uh, it wasn't working working out. So um, yeah, I mean these days. if i invest in a business and if it doesn't work out within within a year or two max in the past i i tried to make it work but i i had more i was more younger i had more energy and now i just don't have the time so what what are the key criteria of of hiring when you look look at mm-hmm. someone what is it that you're looking for my key criteria is honesty honesty yeah uh, um, uh, honesty and willingness to learn and willing you know and 
roll the sleeves up and do the hard work. Nobody comes with all the talents. Nobody comes with, you know, fully experienced, uh, but they learn on the job. But if, they, if they're honest, if, if they are willing to, you know, uh, put the sweat in and work hard, yeah, then that's the person you want. Give you an example, the country director of all my businesses in Bangladesh. You know, we are in Bangladesh, we're in farming, we're in uh, garments industry, we've got um, uh, factories, uh, three or four factories now, we're in retail, uh, we're you know, in IT, we have an IT sector. So all those businesses is run by a country director who joined my company as a clerk in 2005, 2006. I had loads of people that I couldn't work with for whatever reason. And this guy was so loyal to me, okay? Uh, and I brought him up and made him in charge of all my affairs in Bangladesh. What happens when someone tries to now tamper with that person that you, you, you really trust and you know they're good for you, but then there, there might be some other people who, who might try and you know, sway you away from that person. How do you keep track on that? Right, so how do, you, basically how do you keep talent, right? Yes. That's, that's, the, that's the question. So uh, in the beginning, I was a bit slow. So for example, you know, the Parata factory, I was the first one to do a Parata factory in, in Bangladesh, actually the second one in the world. Uh, uh, the first one I did with a Malaysian uh, partner in Malaysia, and that didn't work out for me. So I got annoyed and didn't done in Bangladesh. And then all other part of factories opened, and they took most of my staff. Uh, and it was difficult. Then I learned how to keep the staff. So what we do now in in, uh, in Bangladesh is, or even in the UK, we make sure we value our staff. And you've probably seen me crying when people say I don't yes, value my staff yes. because I get take it personally. So in Bangladesh, I can give you an example. So where everybody is valued and we pay in the we most highest paid employer in our industry in Bangladesh. Maybe not in the UK because UK is, is very competitive. And then my top level directors, yeah, I, uh, what I try to do is take all the headaches away. So top level directors in Bangladesh, I pay for their Medicare. You know, Bangladesh should not have medication, Medicare. No. So I pay for their full family Medicare, including uh, trips abroad. I pay for, for their children education all the way to finish university. Uh, I, there's a grant for any weddings for the family. So they don't have to, in Bangladesh, um, you think about what do they worry about? They worry about if somebody is ill, they have to take them to the hospital, they're going to get the money from, right? So I don't want them to worry about that. Okay, or how they're going to raise the child, where the education fee is going to come from. I don't want them to worry about that. If there is a wedding, I mean, I just think of humanity, what our, is yeah. our needs. Take all those worries away. All he should think about is the company and nothing else. And there's few people I've got, that's all they do, is think about the company, nothing else. Because I've taken all the other headaches away. Amazing. That's, that's really impressive. And I think, I guess, all the employers should should take a leaf out of that and, and, and people learn. don't leave uh, my organization if they're if they've left then they not good uh, usually in my businesses in the uk or Bangladesh, people don't leave hey guys it's shafiq sorry to interrupt you during the show if you are enjoying please like share and subscribe and let us know in the comment below who you want to see on the next show Let's get back into the show again. Now I've got some, you know, quick fire questions for you and, and it's going to be just, you know, one word or two words answer. What is your 
favorite non-Bangladeshi restaurant or type of cuisine? Oh. <laughs> um, you know, thai. Thai? <laughs> Any particular dish? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, what do you prefer, Bangladesh or Wales? Uh, I don't answer that one. No? no. <laughs> you like both? I like both. As the Waitrose? Uh, Waitrose is where I shop now. Okay. Uh, my daughter shops in Asda. Um, and I'm just too lazy to go to Asda. <laughs> it's not because um, it's a class issue. It's just that Waitrose is next to my home. Amazing. What's your biggest fear? Biggest fear is um, death, committing sin. Um, death. Yeah. Well, no, that's that's definitely the right fear to have. What are the things that irritate you most in life in general? Ah, laziness, inefficiencies. Can't tolerate it. So. For example, if you're driving on the motorway or on the road and you see people in vest just standing around doing nothing and they're on 20 pounds an hour, you know, I, I get frustrated inside my car. <laughs> so, oh. oh dear. What about people that make excuse for everything? They've uh, got an excuse for every solutions. Yeah, I have, I have a couple of those in my family. <laughs> um, they are, I mean, they are, they are, I mean, I, I, I have, I have, I don't have any time for them unless they're your family, <laughs> and then uh, you have to work with them. Um, yeah, I don't have many of those in my life. Good, good. What What is the worst thing or hardest thing about your job? Mm, the hardest thing is about, again, uh, stress of... Because I run my business in, 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 in a very um, dynamic situation, so... So I get very stressful uh, because um, to go to where I am, you cannot run the business in a comfortable way. So you have lots of money in the bank and everything's you know uh, comfortable. I always stretch. I if I I think I probably explained to you before. If I I don't you know if somebody say if I have one pound I spend two pound. I don't even have one pound. I think of earning the one pound and the one pound I think I'm going to earn, I've already invested it. Okay, but if that earning doesn't happen, then I get stressed out. At any given time, how much money do you have to have in your like cash flow? Like, what is that? Is is there? I mean, is that something that you can disclose or is no, that? No, no. I mean, business Eurofoods turns over uh, in the UK now is about 140 million. Uh, so you can guess from that what money you, you need to have. Uh, but we don't have. We don't. I don't keep huge reserve because I think that's a lazy business. If you've got lots of money lying around doing nothing, then that's lazy. I mean, when I when I have people coming to me and say, hey, what you don't like, invest in this, invest in that. So I'm going investing in somebody else. Why am I not investing in myself? Why would I go invest in somebody else, somebody else to make me money? That means I don't believe in my own ability. So I never invest uh, in another business or some, on somebody to, for them to do well. I nice. always invest in myself. Do you have any favorite quotes that you refer to on a daily basis or, or, or that you remind yourself with? Yeah, cash is king. Cash is king. So you always have cash. Good to know. What are your biggest strengths or strength? Mm, my biggest strength is my wife. You as an individual? Ah, 
my your ability wise my, uh, my biggest strength is my my ability to know that i can achieve things that i know i can get things done very capable person mm. basically i i have a very much belief in myself to be able to do anything amazing and no other human being can do it i believe i can do it what's your biggest weakness um uh, i think i make decisions too quickly sometimes uh, that's what that's a strength and a weakness some it it worked out for me in lots of businesses and lot of businesses didn't work out for me i i i don't you know wander around and 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 going over things time and time and time and time and i just 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 decide do you find it is easier for you to make bigger decisions and you know harder for you to make the smaller decision or is it quite no. you have a formula there is no formula i just decide you know if i'm going to do something i just decide i just do it and usually i don't listen to anybody so i'll take advice but sometimes i listen to them but but um, usually if i want to do it i why do you not listen to them i mean is there a, is there, did you have an experience where where no if i if 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 uh, the advice is that i shouldn't do this business okay and i do my own calculations and my own forecast and say and i think it's going to work out so i won't listen i think it's going to work be successful and there's some reasons sometimes it does it doesn't become successful for example the abato i was doing really well but i couldn't get the staff I was told not to do it. You won't find the staff there. I said, "Why can't I find the staff there?" And um, I done it, and then because I couldn't get the staff, so I couldn't get the numbers through. Uh, what so. is like? What is it like to 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 do business in somewhere like Bangladesh? I mean, here in the UK or in the West, is the, there's a set infrastructure, and if you follow the kind of system, then you're okay. But in Bangladesh, this is quite dynamic, as you said before. Anybody new in Bangladesh will find it very challenging, very challenging, and very difficult, like I found. Okay. Can you give me a gist of what, uh, what, what challenges we're talking about? Things doesn't move. <laughs> there is a um, um, few things you need to do. Uh, okay, there's a system. You need to be part of the system. You need to understand the system, and and you need to work with the system. Okay. Do you have any book suggestions that that you might want to recommend to 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 our audience? Is I did read One Minute Manager about fifteen uh, eighteen years ago. Maybe it's a good one. Everybody can read. One minute manager. Yeah. Has money made you a better person? Mm, I don't think money's made me a better person. I think uh, I think my my wife and my children made me a better person. Amazing. And what's your relationship like with money? I mean, some people are very extravagant when it comes to money. <laughs> what, what 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 are you like with money? uh i don't have much money to start off with because uh, i'm always struggling <laughs> uh and i'm not a flashy guy i'm just a normal guy okay i don't flash out brands or anything like that i don't go and spend but i do like to live comfortably yeah so it's not i'm not that type where i would earn money and not spend on myself oh i spend on myself and my family so uh, you know i make sure so if i'm flying anywhere in business class or holiday i take the whole family in business class or first class so things like that i do talking of business class at what point did you transition from economy to to business because that's a big jump isn't it from uh, yeah, a financial th- point of view yeah i think i did that in 2003 2004 and again i had some issues with my directors in the company 
and first it was it was the company was was equal shares and then i became majority shareholder after after i became majority shareholder uh, where i controlled everything and, and i had 100% voting shares that's when i decided to, uh, okay and i worked so hard to build this it's time i treat, treat myself amazing amazing now coming to undercover boss the mm -hmm. itv itv show very very emotional i watched it you know it almost made me cry it did make me cry to be honest at the end um did you have any fears before you signed up to the show no that was actually offshoot uh, because um, i was chosen as a, a dragon in dragon's den and i couldn't attend that due to some uh, why uh, you were going to be a dragon yeah i was chosen to be the dragon i wow. think which series was i kind of, i think 20 2016, I think, 20, 20, 2015, 2016, I can't remember. Uh, and I couldn't attend it because I had a tax investigation going on me uh. <laughs> at that time. Uh, and they waited for six months for that to finish, and I, I couldn't finish it. The HMRC weren't moving. Uh, and then, because I had the connections, I had the... Uh, so that's why I had they. I mean, on Dragon's Den, I had to go and do a screen test and this and that. And you sit next to Deborah and everybody, and you get a real pitch. And they that we had a real pitch, and they told me that you know you play as a dragon, but you don't have to invest. So you know whatever it is, we'll tell them that it was a false one after. So that it was free money, wasn't it? Was even my money? So I just <laughs> so the um, investor chose me, so I became I was chose chosen. That I couldn't attend, and that's why those people. Then one of these uh, producers somewhere moved to um, uh, undercover boss team, and they contacted me. Oh, you're so good in screen trust. We can get you. Can you come to do this one? So I'm going to find out what it was, and then I then I said, okay, that's good because I haven't been to Sunderland Depot for years. I don't. A lot of people don't know me. I remember I went to a Masala Bazaar in um, in Smethwick once, and this guy I went there, and uh, this uh, the guy on the tail had his had his uh, foot on top of the shelf and he's on his phone, okay? So I go to him, I look at him, and obviously he doesn't know who I am. I said to him, uh, where's your boss? He said, why, what do you want to do with the boss? Wow. Yeah, and, uh, and, and that was, I said, so those, those experiences, I thought, okay, maybe this undercover thing uh, will be a good to learn what happens in the shop floor of the company. Even when I was find out this guy who's working for me in Cumbran, where I go to work, right? Almost yeah. every day, yeah. if I'm in the UK. And the guy was asking me, do you come here pretty often? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I thought, he pretty sure he saw me in the canteen or something. Yeah. So I but that was, beard kind of, that, that was a good, good, good disguise. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to look like when I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So you had no fears or, or you didn't have any worries that they might want to make you look in a certain way or, or, or give a... Yeah, I think uh, um, they, they, want, they want to make good TV, don't they? So they want, they want to make me look bad in certain places. Uh, and I think they did that, uh, but I didn't really care. Who cares if it, you know, if it helps my company? I mean, I've, uh, because of the, of the show, I've, I've learned parts of my company that I did not know about. I made changes, made improvements, gave them a brand new canteen, gave them brand new lockers, gave them lots of stuff. And did that lady go to Bangladesh at the end? No, she she she, she left. Whoa. Then I saw her again, I think three weeks ago in, back in, in the canteen again. No, she didn't, she didn't, they don't, wow. they don't go through. See, the way this works, the, the hardworking employees never came forward. 
when they go, they don't tell what it is all about. They don't, they don't tell you you're going to get 10 grand or five oh, grand at the end. Dear. They don't tell you. So nobody wants to come forward. Only the ones who want to skive, you know, okay, I, come to, I don't have to do work. I can come into the TV. I'll do that. <laughs> so those ones came forward, you know. So uh, I'm, I don't say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. No problem. Now, one of the questions I've had is, why do you do what you do? Like, <laughs> why? At the end, like, no, the bottom line is why? Uh, well, in the beginning, if you remember my life, uh, I came from a poor family. So it was, uh, in the beginning, it was to generate wealth for betterment of my family. See, the goal changes. When I came to this country, I was on my own. So first thing, if you remember back in the days was how to bring your family to UK. Yeah. That was the goal. Okay. So I brought all my family, my extended family, the area, the village, but everybody here. Those goals were too small for me. Okay. Uh, and then after you, you, I don't do it to generate wealth as such. Okay. Because uh, that part is done maybe 15, 16, 17 years ago. You know, Alhamdulillah, you know, I, I could retire today and me and my children can leave off the real estate or everything assets that I have. Uh, but now, I mean, what do you do if you don't do work? And you have this this business. Uh, you know, running Eurofood is like riding a lion. Yeah, you have to ride it, and you have to keep on feed it, keep on feeding it. Okay, and if you stop feeding it, it'll eat you. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's when the business goes like this. So, give you an example. Eurofoods just before uh, COVID. Just for, not all the other businesses, not the factory, not all the other business. Just Eurofoods on its own. Eurofoods is a business on its own, and to run that company in a week, weekly overheads was about two hundred and seventy-five thousand. Wow. Okay, that was in twenty twenty before COVID. Today, to run this company, the same company, weekly overhead is four hundred fifty thousand. Wow. Okay, so you need to make so much more money just to break even. So as the cost rises, because cost will always rise. I mean, my page, I mean uh, in April, which is next month, minimum wage is going up by 10%. Yes. Okay, so 10% of a payroll bill of about 10, 12 million is a lot of money. So you've got to make that money. So you, you have to continuously grow. You can't that stop. That is big stuff. I mean, that is scary stuff. Mm. Can't wow. stop. What is your relationship with your religion? I do understand from your conversation that you're quite, you know, God-fearing and, you know, you like to kind of put your religion first. Uh, my religion, uh, so um, is comes before anything else. It's my number one priority. Um, so I'm self-taught uh, on on my religion. So back in Bangladesh, we just get taught the Quran and we just memorize. We had no idea what we we're reading, you know. Uh, even in UK, when I came and read the Quran, I didn't understand. So so because I didn't understand, I didn't pray. Okay, and then a few things happened in my life. I have some revelations. Uh, I had some incidents that I cannot explain. Uh, they are um, more almost magical. Okay, and those incidents, uh, those magical incidents, uh, uh, made me think. Hang on a minute. What am I doing? Then I started learning about Islam, and the more I learned, I found out that uh, Islam is a logical. Because I'm always scientific and logical person yeah you know i have to touch and feel it to know it exists otherwise i don't believe it it, it exists the more i learned about islam uh, it was very logical if you know it's a very logical religion religion and 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 then i said yeah this is this is the path uh, 
and I can give you examples um, <clears throat> from today. I, I, do you, I don't know if people watch a show called Click on BBC. So BBC has a show, BBC mm -hmm. News 24 has a show called Click. It, it shows all the um, IT stuff, all the tech stuff. I remember when, the, when the, they went there about 15, 16 years ago or 20 years ago in San Francisco, they went to a new startup and, and, and this startup was an electric car called Tesla. It was a Click show. And they said, oh, how is this going to work? And so this is how what Click does. It brings out all the IT and the tech. And in and there, uh, things, simple, simple, simple things. Google's investing billions now into um, prolonging life, how you can live longer. Okay. And after spending about one billion, they came out uh, with, the, with the answer that if you fast, yeah, then your organs revitalize and blah, 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 and you organize and then you live longer and, and you be healthier. And, that, and, and in our Quran, it says that, you know, 1500 years ago, that if you yeah. do fasting, it's good for you, good for your body. Let me think of something else, uh, which I, because I, uh, I, I interpret things in my own way. So, you know, there is seven heavens and, and, uh, and uh, uh, or eight heavens or seven hells, something like that in, in the book. Uh, and and I don't know if you follow if you follow scientific programs you'll find that I think about two years ago they found earthly uh, earth-like livable planets seven or eight of them and that was about three thousand light years years away okay but we can never travel or we as human beings can never travel there so I asked questions to myself and my first questions was I um, I watched a movie. Uh, it was called the, uh, the movie name was Event Horizon uh, back in late 90s and the movie ended uh, where a spaceship in 2400 they found the spaceship was lost and they found it and it went through wormhole and it came back out okay and the question left movie left where did the ship been basically it went to hell and come back and the wormhole existed, you know, if you are uh, our journey of our prophet uh, back to the, uh, back to the heavens, you know, you, you, I definitely went to the wormhole of those. How can how can you travel? So I put science and Islam together on my own way. And whatever science find today, believe it or not, I can find it in Quran. The Quran says fifteen hundred years ago. This 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 is what it is. And today the scientists make it a revelation. It's a new thing, and it's not. It's already there. It's already there. So uh, I'm I'm very close with my religion. Amazing, amazing, and and that's that's, I mean this is it's really hard to kind of balance those two, isn't it? You know. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fanatic. I'm I'm a very logical person. Uh, okay, uh, I don't believe imposing my views on anybody else. I believe uh, Islam grew because of how good it is. Okay, people liked what they saw. That's why they came to Islam. Uh, Islam did not conquer on force. Islam did not go and, and conquer all of Indian region where me and you are from, uh, because, because it was by force. No, the Mughals did not force anybody to convert. People saw how peaceful, how the religion. It made sense. For example, why do we stand shoulder to shoulder, shoulder together in in Salah? You go to India and you have so many castes. There's caste of Brahman and, and the untouchables who can't look at, look up to the Brahmins uh, and, and they, they, they can never eat in the same, same house or same. So many castes. And when these 
caste in India, when Islam went to India, and saw these caste people, so hang on a minute, God made all men, God made all men equal. And that's how Islam teaches you. Islam, if you're a king, or if you're a servant, or you're a slave, you're doing salat together, standing shoulder to shoulder, because Allah made you all humans equal. And that's how Islam grew, because it was very logical. So, so when you read more into it, anybody who understands Islam, okay, will never go and blow themselves up and commit uh, uh, a suicide bombing. Because it's against Islam. Not. Absolutely not. <laughs> so, Absolutely not. And anybody who understands Islam will not call it a, uh, a, a bad religion. Because they, when they understand it, they'll start loving it. Amazing. Now, back to a bit of business. Did you ever have to turn down any big boys like your, say, Sainsbury's or Ocado? Or, 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 yeah, and what were the consequences? Yeah, as I, a result? I, I, I have a, a, a belief that I should never get into business with anybody who was bigger than me. Okay? So um, I did turn down, uh, and I turned down a big, uh, probably the biggest supermarket in the UK. Uh, and I had a fallout with them, and they wouldn't pay me. And I went to their offices, and I thought, okay, they owe me about hundred grand, so um, if they don't pay me. Basically, what they tried to do, they had a product, it's chicken actually. They ordered fifty trucks from me. I bought the chicken in, and they wouldn't take it. Uh, and I was paying storage, so I went to meet this guy. Uh, I met him in someone in East London, which is the director of Tesco. Sorry, I shouldn't say that name. <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't say that name. Anyway, he knows. Who it is? I met him, uh, and uh, uh, and he put it on sale, and he buy one get one free. It was in all the stores, and within two weeks he sold fifty trucks. After three months, I have a bill of two hundred fifty grand. By the way, Eurofoods, we had a joint joint partnership, and we had you had um, uh, we were supposed to make X amount of profit from you. We didn't, so uh, we had fifty grand less, two hundred fifty grand less profit on your products and we should have made, therefore you owe us that money. I'm saying, it's not my fault. Wow, this is some cutthroat stuff. Yeah, it's not my fault. You put it on offer, you know, you order the stock. And then I decided, okay, I'm not gonna do business with them. Uh, and I went and I thought, okay, how do I get my money out? So I knew to them I was a little guy. So if I go and make a scene in the head office, they had an open open plan office in office. So I went there and screamed and shouted, "If you don't pay my money, I'm going to call the police. You're going to have to call the police." And it will come on papers that big UK supermarket uh, market uh, supplier and all this nonsense. Okay, and they paid me there and then all my money. No way, yeah, like all straight my money. away. And they delisted me straight away. <laughs> they wow. delisted me. But good thing is the guy who delisted me, the director, he's now a director in Eurofoods. Amazing! <laughs> wow. Because we became friends. After the fallout, you became yeah. friends. Yeah. How do you value relationships? I mean, that's something that's quite important, isn't it? Like, you know, oftentimes in business, we can burn relationships. But then for me, mm. it's very important to also cultivate relationships. So, yeah, so Where is the balance? I don't burn any relationship unless I know it needs to be burnt. Because if somebody is unethical or unhealthy, and then that's the one you burn. Otherwise, most business relationship I, I always keep. Okay, I always keep stay in touch. Um, for me and you, we stayed in touch. We met in 2020, I believe. Yeah. yeah and we stayed in touch. Hello, hi. Uh, who knows what the future will hold? Okay, so, and I'm active with my 
relationships where uh, I'm doing regular businesses. I'm very close, close with them, and I'm very transparent with my partners. Success of Euro Foods and me is not because of what I've done. Uh, it's because of my team in the UK, but also the people who invested in me. Not like money, but big companies like uh, the, the biggest meat company in the world uh, who turned over 64 billion. Trust me, I'm their partner for wow. protein. Uh, so when I talk about protein, there's nobody bigger. Okay, uh, So they are my partners. When they, when they want to meet me, they send private jet over. Okay, and, and we go and meet them. Wow. Uh, so, um, so these are the people who trust me and believe in me. And mostly it's not people from our community. It's um, big, big companies. And the big CEO, he meets me and he trusts me. And, uh, and that's how I do business. Amazing. <clears throat> are there any specific deals that you've done and that really, really turned the situations around or it was most, so valuable to you? And were there any techniques that you used to kind of make that deal happen? Mm, there's there's lots of deals where the, uh, the the company did really really well. I mean, we invented the roti parata back in 1997. You know, roti parata didn't exist. I invented it. What's well, roti parata? I mean, is that the, the, the frozen, frozen parata? Yes. You, you know, Eurofoods invented yes. that. Or oh, you you invented yeah, it. We invented that product. It, it didn't exist before us. So we were going around shops in London, frying and selling it. The, the dal puri, the aloo puri, all these things we invented. All this Asian snack you see. We invented, and everybody else copied. If you if you if you see that we will launch a product, and about two years time, everybody else copies. Wow! So a lot of things we did. The most one I remember, which made me about twenty million, is probably the Hayes Depot. I think, but I think met you there yes, once. Yes. Yes. Uh, that depot was owned by the Israeli um, government, and seven banks of Israel. And wow, that one was tough. Me being a Muslim, trying to get that from them, was tough. Uh, that that made about twenty million million in uh, in value in appreciation. So that was a good one. Uh, and the product wise, there's loads. There's lots and lots of products. Um, we have uh, fantastic products like uh, Murgi Master, which makes a million million pound a year profit. Uh, we do our Crown from single cream. We do a lot of other chickens and a lot of lot of products. Amazing. So. I mean, we're, we're coming to an end to our show. Share with us your, I mean, you, you've, you, you're in much better shape than, than I saw you last. You know, do you have a um, physical or mental health routine? Because let's face it, entrepreneurship is not a, you know, jolly journey. It, it is quite lonely. And oftentimes you, fight, you face, you know, you find yourself in a situation where you have anxiety, where you have depression, you're going through depression, but you have to kind of deal with it yourself. Yeah, I, 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 I'm known in my family to be saying that I don't believe in depression. I do get depressed, but it's for a very short time. So I would get depressed for half a day or a day. Uh, I got depressed for about three or four days when my closest cousins backstabbed me uh, back in 2017. That was the biggest time. And the people I brought to UK, I raised everything and then they, they did something really bad on me. And that was the time I think I got the, the, the most of the time I got depressed about three days or four days then I picked myself up I said what am I doing uh, you know I should do what I'm best at and then I carried on so yeah so and sometimes it is it is lonely uh, it is challenging uh, but 
you know it, it is lonely at the top why do you not believe in because everyone's talking about depression and anxiety i mean i personally don't believe in depression and anxiety because i feel us as human beings were such a strong creation of 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 god almighty mm-hmm. i mean we can overcome it yeah. but so anxiety i have definitely um anxiety is if i'm making something because i'm always living the life on edge of decisions i make so i have i have a lot of anxiety but depression i don't believe in because uh, i'm not saying i don't believe in it i believe depression exists and and i know it's there uh and and reason for me me personally i think that i am uh it is within myself if i'm depressed nobody else can help me is up to myself to help myself come out of it it's not going to be being depressed and and sitting in the corner and crying about it i have to do if i'm going to make a change yeah then i have to do it so and that's what that's why what i believe and i always try to fix my problems myself i do get you know i mean listen i do get depressed if i have an argument with my wife i get depressed <laughs> you know <laughs> that's so, inevitable <laughs> and, and she talks to me and i'm fine again so yes yeah, that's uh, <laughs> Uh, funny do you do, do you exercise do you like uh, yeah, run jog uh, so uh, back in back in my home in wales i was running 5 kilos four times a day 1 uh, kilo up the hill uh, and uh, i had a gym in the house in my house i had a, i had a gym i used to go to gym four five times a week uh and then obviously after the incident happened i come to london although i have a gym in my building that i i i live in with a spa and swimming pool but i think um yeah first three four weeks i was a bit um, shocked of what happened I was going from and my wife pulled me through it actually i was you know getting over the shock of what happened and people who done it were related to me in a way wow and and and, and getting over that was tough was wow. tough So, do you feel like exercising and all of that helps yeah, exercising is, uh, I I love exercising. Um I hate treadmill. Yeah, I, I don't like Why? it. I feel like a hamster. I feel <laughs> I'm going nowhere in life, you know, in the same place. I hate staying in the same place. Uh my daughter then showed me on on my on our treadmill there's a screen and 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 she works on Istanbul. She walks and she goes through Istanbul so I've started doing that <laughs> and that's a bit more interesting uh, uh but i like running outside uh, where i live uh, i run through the forest uh, i run through i have a i have my own forest at the back uh, so Amazing. i don't like doing things things like that Amazing. and then you running and you listening to the breeze and birds singing is different than running on a treadmill trust me definitely 100% i agree with you What are the sacrifices that you have to make? I mean, I know traveling is a big part of your life and 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 I suppose like, you know, that is a big sacrifice for, on your part. Are there any other sacrifices that so, you so make? So traveling today is not a sacrifice because today I don't miss much because the kids today uh uh to find time with them, I have to make appointment with them. Oh, please <laughs> give me some time, you know? Uh and they're all so busy because they're all grown up adults. but bigger sacrifice i make when they were little you know uh, so i uh, i would uh, i was building the business and those days i had to travel the world uh, especially in asia indonesia you know vietnam malaysia everywhere and they were growing up and and i left them and find new now that what i what i've missed but i 
At that time, I didn't think it would end. I remember that uh, I would open up my front door and my both daughters would run to the door who comes, who can come first. Uh, and those days are the best days of my life that I missed. Okay. If you say, uh, would you change everything you have and be a normal person and have those days? I would say, anytime. I miss those those days. I, I, I used to just leave them in my in-law's house and, and go for two weeks or three weeks. And remember, I was building the businesses up in Bangladesh at that time. And in the beginning, Bangladesh business was difficult. Okay, I had a factory takeover of one of the guys who were working for me. So I did lots of serious stuff. Wow. Okay? I remember uh, in when I got rid of all the guys in Bangladesh, and I said, I said, I'm going to do this on my own. And the staff... <coughs> They call us in Bangladesh, when you and me go to Bangladesh, they call us London Murga. I don't know if you know, if you heard yeah, of that Yeah, name. yeah, yeah. Basically, Dal. Farmer, Farmer Murug or something yeah, like that, yeah. you know. Basically, Murga. They don't know anything. Uh, Murga means Dal yeah, people from yeah. London. So, uh, one, this incident, I think in 2009, when I got rid of my last directors running the company, then I started running it. So, I was in Bangladesh base running it. And this guy uh, uh, who was supplying papers, you know, the papers in the packs? And... This guy supplied me papers for two years and took 10 pieces out from each pack. Okay. And over two years, he supplied my, my when I, after I took over, I did an audit and everything. And my guys found out he supplied us two lakhs taka, less of paper. So we deducted two lakhs taka from his invoice and paid him. But inside my factory, he had his own colleagues, his people who we went to school and college with. So he had his own little yeah, all um, network. Yeah. But I knew I had to make a stand. Now, we have a couple of questions from, from our social media networks. And one question is, is, is from someone very close to you. You've been working very hard all your life. When will you ever retire and enjoy life? I hope that's not my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I'm enjoying life now. I'm with my children. Uh, we're all living together. Uh, we, we do whatever we want. We go out for meals together. I mean, what we have today is because of the sacrifices I made in the early years. So, of course, I'm upset of not spending the time with my children. But if I did not do that, I would not have the ability to do what I'm doing today. Amazing. Now, do you have anyone that you look up to? Uh, do I have anyone? Any inspirations, uh, any business leaders that you might think, wow, like this guy, is, this guy inspires me? Not really. There's a lot of successful business people in the world. I don't think anybody inspires me uh, as such. Uh, I mean, you know, there's mega business guys who do, do really well. What I uh, get inspired about most is when I see a little guy striving and doing really well uh, and, 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 and gone from one business to different business and, multi and, and, and he didn't have, have, have any help. Those people inspire me more than you know, very successful billionaires. Billionaires don't inspire me as much as those people. Amazing. Now, if you were to start all over again, mm -hmm. right from that 20 pounds, how many years would it take to build the empire to what it is today in terms of with my no With my knowledge? With the knowledge that you have now. With the knowledge now, I wouldn't start with 20 pounds. You can not get anywhere with 20 pounds. Okay. <laughs> so my knowledge that I have now, I'd probably be able to build this business uh, within 10 years. It will stay till Eurofood is a business that you know people try to copy and try to compete, but it's almost impossible uh, because what we have built didn't come over 
you know, uh, five or 10 years time is a 31, 30, 32 years now probably turning into of investment and the infrastructure. It's not just Ido Foods and just we're supplying to the restaurant and the shop. No, it's the behind it, as I, yeah. as I said to you, the supply chain, the connections, the, the factories. I have six or seven of my own factories supplying me uh, into my businesses. So how is it my competition going to compete? They simply can't. Even big supermarkets like Tesco's and others can't buy uh, the prices that I can buy. They simply don't don't have the connections or the network or, or the infrastructure in place. So if, even if you give me 500 million today, I couldn't be, be build Euro Foods in two, three years' time. It will still take me 10 years. Yeah. You give me un, un, infinite resources because it takes time to build this invest, infrastructure. So we are, and we are still carrying on. I mean, we are the largest farmers in Bangladesh, but we're not stopping there. We are uh, now, next next level is going to hatchery and they're going to feed mills. So we're going to feed mills, so which will be feeding our own so, uh, farms. And it's just, it's just crazy. You can't stop. And the key is now, I'm not doing the growth. You think I'm driving it anymore? No. In the UK, I'm here and, and most decisions go in Bangladesh. My business now automatically grows. The, the management I have put in place, yeah, they are driven to grow. So, the, for example, give you the exa example, I've got a garment factory. I had nothing to do with it. They came up with the idea in COVID. This is what they want to do. Uh, they just took, they just take my blessings. So now I hear they're starting a packaging factory because we've got all these factories and that we buy packaging from. So we can have one factory making boxes or poly supplying to our factory. They want to do that. And all they would ask me, so this is what we're going to do. This is the business plan. Uh, would you approve? I just approve. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Hussein, um, for, for being with us and sharing some special nuggets from your, from your journey. And I hope this will really, really, it, it definitely inspires me because since I've uh, learned about you and, and I've been following your journey for a while, it definitely has inspired me in terms of um, by learning more about what you have done and what you have achieved throughout your, your years. And I hope this show can be a, a, an inspiration to someone who's looking out there, who's looking to, to start out in business. And I hope this could be that spark that gets them going because you can't really spoon feed to, for someone to become a businessman or, or an entrepreneur. But I think if you can spark that, uh, that fire, then they can hopefully carry on. Yes, and, and that's my, uh, my reason for coming here to see uh, if we can inspire uh, the next generation to do a lot more um, uh, than what them. I mean, in tech, you can make big business in short time now. And tech, tech uh, is the way. Uh, and for me, um, maybe another two to three years time, I would not take an active role in anything and just become an investor and invest in, if somebody has fantastic ideas uh, that they want to, they think they will do well, then yeah, they'll invest in those businesses and, and make it well because Amazing. I guess the, the end, end uh, nugget that we've got here is invest in tech or look into tech. And that's, that's something that can accelerate your, yeah. your journey quite fast. So thank you once again for, for being here with us. Thank you, Shafiq Mike. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, and speak to you soon. <laughs> okay. Asalaamu Alaikum. Hey guys, I truly feel inspired by this show and I hope you too have been inspired and I hope you will take some actions towards your entrepreneurship journey. I hope you will I hope to see you on the next show. 
until then stay well and don't forget to hit that subscribe button like and of course comment with any questions that you may have or any guest requests that you may have until then i'll see you soon